Hey, everybody, it is Trags once again and back for episode 21 of the Jungle Roar podcast. I welcome in a truly special guest, an old friend, definitely an old friend from my days back in New England, the one and only Mike Giardi, he of the NFL Network fame, and he does a terrific job. And I just don't say this because I like your smiling pretty face, Michael. (laughs) I think you do a tremendous job on the network, uh, breaking down all things um, especially Patriots, but wherever your assignment is calling. And this weekend, it just so happens that the universe is converging. Not only are you going to be in my hometown of Cincinnati and coming to cover the Bengals, you're covering an old, I- I'm going to call him, um, <laughs> I- I'm going to call him an old friend. And that would That's be fair. the one and only Jimmy G. Jimmy Garoppolo comes calling. He has fended off Trey Lance for the time being in San Francisco. So we'll begin this podcast by asking your asking you your views on San Francisco and what kind of threat with Jimmy G at quarterback they possess. They have had won three straight before they lost last week to Seattle. The, the overriding thing for me with San Francisco this year has been sloppy. That's the word that comes to mind on all fronts. You know, they have moments, as you mentioned, you win three games in a row where things look like they're starting to come together. But, but I felt like at various points this year, whether it be sloppiness on offense, and, and there certainly was some real issues early on with Garoppolo, and they were trying to work Trey Lance in there. And then obviously the Trey Lance thing is just put on the back burner. Right. But even defensively, I think there's enough personnel there that they should be better than they are, uh, particularly in the front seven. And it, again, at points this year, uh, they just haven't played as well as they, they should. And that's why they're a middle of the road football team right now with, you know, they still have some dreams of playoffs because it's, it's still within reach, but uh, I don't know how anyone could think anyone who follows San Francisco could think that they're able to just flip a switch. It's been sort of a a problem for them all year long. The reason I uh, brought it up about Jimmy G, obviously you were a big fan of his when he was in new England uh, playing behind Tom Brady. And uh, there were some thoughts uh, obviously that uh, it would be Jimmy G replacing Tom Brady that never came to pass. And I'm curious uh, as, as we revisit that. And as I have been watching man in the arena, which I think is pretty fabulous. I, I laugh so many times as you might imagine watching Tom Brady tell stories of Bill Belichick. But anyway, um, as am I, as I'm watching that, I do go back to the days when Jimmy G gave Tom Brady a run for his money. Why did he never take over Tom Brady? Tom, Tom didn't, didn't give him an opportunity. I mean, let's be real that Tom outlived the succession plan and he's, and he's still outliving everything, <laughs> any right. expectations anybody's put on him, you know, 34 touchdown passes and counting at the age of 44. Uh, and probably uh, he and Aaron Rodgers are probably your odds on favorite to be the MVP this year. So I, I think that's really what it came down to. And I think if, if you had asked, if you could get Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels in a private moment, where they wouldn't think that this would come out, ask them who they would have liked to have gone forward with the quarterback. I think it was Jimmy. Um, And look, they would have been proven wrong, right? Because Tom continues to do what he's done. And um, you know, that's just, that's just one of those things. I I always look at Garoppolo now and not that he's not in, in a, in a bad place. Obviously Kyle Shanahan is very well respected for, for his offensive scheming and play calling in that system there. 
But I, I still wonder what Garoppolo would have become had he stayed in New England because they had such strong feelings about him. And one of the things I think is really interesting about the way they felt about him was his ability to process quickly and to go through his progressions quickly. And I think in San Francisco, the feeling is he doesn't do that well enough hmm. or he's too quick sometimes to just get rid of the football. And I just wonder different coaching, different system, you know, what it would look like for him, but you know, whatever he got to a super bowl. I know he didn't win. Uh, he's made a lot of money. So he's, 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 he's done all right for himself. He came one overthrow yep. from winning that uh, Super Bowl. I believe it was Debo Samuel, right on the uh, deep post. Manuel Sanders. Uh, oh, Emmanuel You're Sanders. Into my brain, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, if he completes that pass and that's a touchdown, I think the 49ers win. And Jimmy Garoppolo writes one of the great stories uh, in 49er history. Um, what do the Bengals have to do to contain Kyle Shanahan and Jimmy Garoppolo? I think first things first is get pressure. I think when he has had time to throw the ball, he's been very effective. When you put pressure on him, it speeds up his clock. Um, you know, if Debo Samuel is not playing, and again, this it's a little early in the week to know where Samuel is at with the hamstring, um, you know, that takes away his George Kittle and Debo are his two guys, you know. So if you have one guy that, that you can lean on and trust in Kittle, I think that would allow Cincinnati to sort of maybe – uh, shape their defense to to pressure Jimmy and to take away Kittle and force him to go other places. And I think that would be a, a good re recipe for, for Cincinnati coming into this one. I know uh, you've taken a look at uh, Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow, but I want to focus on what you have taken away from the Bengals defense, namely the pressure you mentioned in Trey Hendrickson. He is having a fabulous year. One of the really good, smart, I think, intelligent signings that Duke Tobin had for the Bengals. I don't think there's any question about that. I mean, we, we spent a ton of time this year, particularly in, in my locale, talking about Matthew Judon and is he the best free agent signing of the year? Well, if he's the best, then Trey Hendrickson is, you know, it's one to one A, one A, one B, however you want to do it. And that's high praise because Matt, as anybody who saw the game on, on, on uh, Monday night or has been watching, following the Patriots closely, as you have, obviously. Um, Judon has had a tremendous year, but uh, Hendrickson's right there with him. Well, I mean, by the if you're going to go strictly based on pressure numbers, Hendrickson's had a better year than Judon has. Uh, and again, that's, to your point, that's really saying something because Judon's had a terrific season. And, you know, there's been some rumblings now about potentially in the mix for defensive player of the year. Um, and again, maybe it's the between their success, you know, winning seven straight games and sort of, you know, building that, that resume and, and getting the national attention. But Hendrickson's had every bit the year that, that Judon's had. And, you know, again, just a, a, a tremendous signing. I think some people at the time were like, was he a one hit wonder uh, with the right. Saints in last year? Nope. He, he's, he's the real deal. And I think he's helped change, um, you know, he certainly helped change that front. And I would argue just his presence as a player, you know, and sort of having someone who's that good at what he does just elevates the entire team. And I think that's it's certainly the case with Hendrickson. Larry Ogunjobi and DJ Reader, what have been your impressions? Because here in Cincinnati, there's been rightfully a lot of uh, praise heaped on that, uh, that uh, defensive tandem in the middle of the Bengals defensive line. I think they've been terrific together. I, it, frankly, and I, and I know I've just focused on the Bengals primarily. I can't imagine a defensive tandem in the middle of the defensive line having a better year than those two have had. Yeah, I think they've been terrific. And I think they, they're, you know, again, if you want to talk about keys, 
you're dealing with a San Francisco team that would still, at the end of the day, Kyle wants to run the ball. You know, he, want, he, he would run the ball 40 times. I don't know that he'd go 46 and three like Belichick did in Buffalo, 46 <laughs> rushes and three yeah. passes. But I, I think he would love to run the ball. I think we've seen it at various points during their win streak where, you know, they flex their muscles in particular in that game against the, the Rams where it was just like, we're going we're gonna to run the ball down your throat and there's nothing you can do about it. And I think they'd love to establish that against Cincinnati. So those two guys in particular, well, if you can't move us, we get some penetration. If we chew up um, Mitchell in the backfield a little bit, then then maybe that puts more of the game on Garoppolo. And again, I think that would be the the smart thing to do if you're you're Zach Taylor and, and the Bengals. Speaking with Mike Giardi, doing an outstanding job for the NFL Network. Uh, once upon a time, worked for NBC Sports in Boston. Um, you can follow him on Twitter at Michael Giardi, all one word. I got that right, right, Mike. I think Mike, I'm Michael. It could be I, Mike. Yeah, I I'm remember. pretty sure it's Michael, but I'll go back and double check. Anyway, <laughs> just do a freaking Twitter search of <laughs> People, Mike you Giardi. Can find it. You can yes. find it. Um, okay. Uh, we've spoken. Uh, the Bengals, by the way, and you know this, having done your homework, as you always do, the Bengals are beaten up. They're banged up, uh, dinged up coming into this game. Jadobi Awuzie, another acquisition that the Bengals had there, without question, playing as their number one corner. He has a foot injury. Uh, when he intercepted Justin Herbert on Sunday. Um, he is day-to-day. Burrow is going to be day-to-day, at least to start the week. Um, he's going to be limited, but he is expected to play. And uh, the Bengals lost, will not have their best downhill linebacker, Logan Wilson, this week. Um, you know, the Bengals are going to have their challenges uh, having bodies step in. But I think because Lou Anarumo has had such a good year sc- scheming for the Bengals defense, I think they'll be okay. Offensive side of the ball, let's finally get to Jamar Chase and, and what you found out studying the film, listening to the Bengals. And if Jamar catches that ball, which, by the way, it was a throw that Burrow made after dislocating his pinky. People forget that. He dislocated the pinky on the Iwuzu, uh, Iwuzu, um strip sack on the first drive of the game. Second drive, he throws that ball down the right side of the field, and it was a perfect pass, and uh, Jamar fumbles it into an interception. Yeah, look, uh, well, the first thing that comes to, to mind when studying Chase is he's, he's getting open. I know that, that he hasn't gotten as many touches as probably he wants or Cincinnati wants, uh, fans want. Uh, but he he is getting open and they've used him in different ways because clearly in the last month or so, teams are trying to make sure he doesn't get the big play, trying to take some of that over-the-top stuff. Cloud he coverage. Yeah, like he that. mentioned he's seeing some doubles as well. So um, I, to me, that's fine. Like, I don't think Chase has to – I mean, look, he's a really good player. You want the ball in his hands. But when you have Higgins playing the way Higgins is playing, when you have Boyd – performing like he did in that last game like if those guys can pick him up then you're going to really sort of force the defense to say well can we keep affording to double chase can we can we cloud that like it, it allows them to do so many other things and I think one of the really the great things about Joe is that he Burrow is he's not forcing the ball in that area like okay fine you want to take that away well that means somebody else is open and he's done a really good job of finding him um, and to your point about the interception, look, at, that's a game changer. And, and 
Jamar admitted it. He said, look, if, if, we're, if I make that catch, we're probably not having, having this, this discussion, discussion because right. it, it's that, that butterfly effect. What happens if he goes, if that should have been a touchdown, what happens if he, it is a touchdown? Does that change the whole flow of how that game looks? And even with that said, Mike, and you were there to me, the fact that they're down 24 to nothing and they battle all the way back and made it 24, 22 going for two to tie the game. Like says a lot about that football team because it, it's real easy at that point at 24 nothing to just say, you know what, screw it, let's live to play another day. Today's not our day. And, and they didn't do that. And even, even after that, not getting the two, you know, and Chargers score again, the mix and fumble, like they're, they were still in the mix very much so, like that, that had all the makings of, a, of one hell of a comeback. And, and quite frankly, I still think it was one hell of a comeback. You just didn't end up, you know, getting the W out of it. Uh, the fumble aside, Joe Mixon is running the ball as well as he ever has. Yeah, I don't think there's any question. You know, I, I go back to a couple of years ago uh, in advance of Patriots and Bengals in Cincinnati. Yeah, the uh, video yeah, game, and, the and videotape. Bel- yeah, yeah. Belichick was just like, this guy's as good as it gets. There's nothing that he can't do. And Mike, as you were someone who covered the Patriots for the entire run, basically, of Belichick. There are times when he talks about the opposing players and you're like, he's just, you know, he's just blowing smoke at him and he's just looking for something to say. And then there are times where he says things and you see this sort of glint in his eye and the, you know, Mr. Monotone, the voice changes a little bit and you know that what he's saying, he actually means it. And that was one of those cases where when he talked about mixing his tempo picked up a little bit and you're like, Oh, he really, he really believes what he's saying here. He really believes Joe Mixon's one of the better backs that he's seen. And, Look, I, I know Joe had dealt with some injuries over the course of the last couple of years, but the Joe Mixon we're seeing now, fumble notwithstanding, has been, you know, he's been every bit as Bill Belichick advertised. Well, uh, he had that glint. Bill had a, that glint in his eye for uh, two players that I recall in both safeties, Ed Reed and Troy Palomalo. Yes. Those two guys yes. that anytime the, the, the Patriots would play either the Ravens or the Steelers and somebody would ask about them, it would be that same type of glint in the eye, which is uh, uh, certainly uh, very high praise. I want to get back to Joe Burrow and something that you'll appreciate, Mike. When he is asked about trying to force the ball to different receivers, his answer is, I throw the ball to wherever the defense tells me to throw it, which is a different version, a cousin, if you will, on Tom Brady's I throw the ball to whoever is open. And, and, and I've been asked this many, many times because people here in Cincinnati know I've covered the Patriots. And they say, do I see Tom Brady, some, some of Tom Brady and Joe Burrow? Because fans here, and this is understandable, they are desperate to have that savior in, in sure. Cincinnati of the franchise, a Brady who can, a guy like Brady who can come along and literally transform what they do on the field. I do think Burrow is capable of doing that. The, the problem for me watching the Bengals right now, the offensive line, Mike, is so inconsistent. And on the strip sack, Jonah Williams, who is having a very, very, very good year, got beat badly by Nwozu on the edge. And, he, and Nwozu got to Burrow and stripped him. Yeah, I mean, look, that is, to me, the weakest part of the team is their offensive line, right? I think that's... And they're injured also. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that certainly plays plays into it, um, I, I think. you know, And I think that's why you had the debate back in the spring about 
do you pick the tackle or do you pick? Oh, Chase? they got the, yeah, and they got that right. Right. They, oh, they picked ab- the, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but now they're in a position where I think they head into this offseason, right? And they're going to be that's that's got to be task number one for the brass there is to get more pieces in front of Joe to protect Joe because look, he, pl- he plays tough. He'll stand in there. He'll take the hits. So you want to limit those plays as much as possible and you need to upgrade on the offensive line. I mean, it, he, I think Joe has shown all the signs of being a franchise quarterback. I don't think there's any question about no, it like that. Right. I, I think he's a terrific player. I think he's only going to get better, but you don't want to get him into a situation where he gets shell shocked because he's getting hit all the time or he's having to play hurt all the time. Like it, it'd be nice to have a four, six, eight week stretch where you limit the number of hits. And all of a sudden, you know, he rolls into November or December and he's like, Hey, I feel pretty good. You know, like I, I haven't felt this way in a while. And I think that's really, I mean, it's critical. I, I think again, to, to sort of go back to our roots here in new England, I, when the I think Patriots, you're beating me to the punch. Go yeah, ahead. When the Patriots built this team, whether it was going to be Cam Newton or whether it was going to be Mac Jones, I mean, I, I think they eventually knew that it was going to be a transition to Mac. It just happened that that transition started back in the spring and he takes, uh, takes over the job in the summer. But the whole thought was we have what we, they believed was a top five offensive line. And for five or six weeks, they didn't play like a top five offensive line. And they had some injuries. Trent Brown goes down right away. They had some COVID stuff. They, they lost Isaiah Wynn and Mike and Wenu for a while. But now that that offensive line is solidified, huh, coincidence that they're on a seven-game win streak when the offensive line is solidified. And Mac Jones, who was getting absolutely destroyed on a week-to-week basis, is all of a sudden pretty clean uh, every week. You know, maybe there's a hit here or a hit there. But by and large, you're like – man, all those things that we were stressing on for the first six weeks of the season, all those things like, what are they going to do? How, how are they, you know, they shouldn't have picked up wins 50 year option. They shouldn't have done this. They shouldn't have done that. Now it's like, Oh, it looks great. You know, that, and yep. that's five really good players, a couple of nice player pieces to, to swing pieces. Karis actually becomes the starting guard here, but now Mike on who was terrific last year, he's, he's their sixth offensive lineman. That's a pretty good piece to have as a six offensive lineman. Cincinnati needs to get to that point where they have that sort of protection and that sort of bodies because it'll make a world of difference. Well, I mean, I, I asked um, Zach Taylor the other day about, hey, you got Jackson Carmen in there as a third tackle. What did you think? And the lack of response was so telling, <laughs> Mike. It was, and, 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 and everybody here in Cincinnati wants to see Jackson Carmen do well. He's a local kid, went to Fairfield High School. And um, obviously, uh, you know, played at Clemson and protected Trevor Lawrence. And they saw, you know, a lot of potential in the kid. He's a huge specimen. He's 6'6", you know, 300 pounds and, you know, has shown signs of good leg work, but in footwork, but he has just not developed and they've been very disappointed in him. There's been questions uh, internally about his work ethic and, you know, they just haven't been able to string things together uh, uh, about Mac Jones. I want to get to Mac Jones really quick because the difference to me in Mac Jones and Joe Burrow is I think Joe Burrow is a franchise quarterback. Mac Jones right now, and, and I hate this phrase, but I'm going to use it, is more of a game manager to me. He's not being expected to make game winning plays. He's capable of making big plays, but the the weight of the world isn't on his shoulders and you've covered him. What have you thought about Mac Jones? Incredibly intelligent, 
incredibly accurate, uh, processes very, very well. Um, when I speak to the intelligence part, one of the things that's really struck me about him is being able to make corrections on the fly. And you see it, particularly here, he comes off the field after a series. He sits on the bench. Josh McDaniels, the offensive coordinator, sits right next to him. The surface comes out. They look at the surface. And I, I just – you see if he makes a mistake, if he doesn't read something properly, if he didn't set the protection properly, the next time they see that, more often than not, he gets it right. And that, to me, is for a young quarterback, and you know all yep. these different things are coming at you, and you're in control of so many different things. That is incredibly impressive. His arm is – just good enough. That's been my phrase all year long. He, he it's not as pop gunny as people want to make it out to be. Um, I, I've seen plenty of throws, particularly in that 10 to 15 area yard area where he puts the per proper zip on it. He puts it in the right spot. Mm -hmm. I think his big task this off season will be just as Tom Brady's was 20 years ago, get stronger. He's yep. got to remake his body a little bit. Um, and I think they feel like he can do that. And then I think if, for those who don't remember, 2000, Brady's arm, eh, just good enough. You know, now at 44, the guy throws as good a football as anybody and can put zip on it. Like, he built that up. He figured it out. I think they believe that Mac has the capabilities to do the same thing. But to your point about being a game manager, and that used to be a, you know, that used to be a, a, a slur, if you will, on quarterbacks. Sure. It's, it's not. Um, in this stretch in particular, they're playing from in front yep. and it, it has made all the difference in the world. Like I, you know, I, I had people coming at me left and right during the game on Monday night about like, Oh, this is, this shows they don't trust them. They only threw three times. And I'm like, no, they jumped out eight, nothing. The bills score kicked the extra point. It's eight, seven. They, they were in that position where we're not, we're not going to expose them to this. Like this is working. And until we have to, we're not going to, and they never had to, right? And right. I don't know if most coaches would do that, but I, I mean, 2008, Mike, I, I don't know if you were at that Bills game in 2008, similar yep. conditions, horrible. Yep. Matt Castle threw eight times, and Castle had become a really good quarterback that year after Brady got hurt. Same thing, right? Like, they just, we don't need to do it. We're not going to do it. There's no, We're not showing off here. Buffalo Bills needed to throw the ball because the Buffalo Bills could not run the ball. The Patriots could run the ball so okay why are we going to put it up in the air so like um you know i think there were probably six or seven quarterbacks in the league that could have managed the wind like josh allen managed the wind that day uh in in buffalo um max not not that guy right now um but he didn't have to be and that that whole thing about playing in front like i'll be curious you know whether it happens in indy a couple saturdays from now whether it's the buffalo game back in in Gillette the day after Christmas, maybe it's down in Miami to end the season. There's going to be a point where they're going to be behind, where they're not going to be able to be in the driver's seat as they've been during the stretch. And that's when you'll, you know, maybe we'll get another answer on, you know, is Mac ready to take that next step and, and go beyond just managing the game? He did it against Dallas. And I thought the Absolutely. Dallas Cowboys game that they lost in overtime, which was a bizarre game. Um, he was able to show to me uh, that he could lead the team from behind. But I want to ask you about Ramondre Stevenson and Damian Williams, because certainly in New, New England, they're getting a lot of focus. Um, and maybe people here in Cincinnati who haven't followed them as closely, they are an, an incredible running back tandem. And really the key to me of keeping Mac Jones clean. 
Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, people were trying to come up with the nicknames, and, you know, of course, you get the, the standard thunder and lightning. And I'm like, it's thunder and thunder. <laughs> These two guys seek out contact or are not afraid of contact. I mean, Stevenson uh, rushed for 78 yards on Monday night, and it had to be maybe the best 78-yard performance I've seen in a long, long time because, look, they're playing 10 guys in the box. Yep. And there were plenty of times where he's getting hit in the backfield and he's still generating positive yards. Uh, he broke nine tackles in that game. It, it, he's, he's been really impressive. And, you know, it's a standard thing where, you know, his opening game, he fumbles, they bury him for three games. He sits on the bench. You're not, you know, he didn't even dress. Um, trying to teach him how to be a pro. Like, Hey, you're a rookie. We're, we're depending on you here, but if you don't have the ball, if you, if you can't secure the ball, he also had a bad bit blitz pickup in that first game, then you're, you're going to have a red shirt year and um, you know, to his credit from the work. And then obviously with the, some of the injuries they suffered, James White being out for the year, uh, they pressed them back into duty and he's been fantastic since. And Harris is, I, I mean, Harris is a really, really good running back. Harris's only problem is, and, and you saw it again on Monday night where he tweaks the hamstring. He's yes. a hard time staying on the field. Um, so you know, people in New England were like, they have too many running backs. They have too many running backs. Well, it turns out they had just enough running backs because they, they've cycled through all of them at this point this year, and, and they've needed all of them at this point this year. All right. Are we going to see the Bengals and Patriots? in the? Uh, we're definitely going to see the Patriots in the playoffs. Are we going to see the Bengals and the Patriots at some point in the playoffs? Because I would love to see that. I think the Bengals are the best team in that division. I, I really do. I'm not. I'm not pandering to uh, to your your podcast audience or to you. I, I think that to me, when I look at the teams in that division, I think they're the best team in that division. You know, I, I agree. Got to be. I think Joe's got to be a little bit more careful with the football. I think, and he'll tell you that. Like some of the turnovers, you know, 14, 14 interceptions leads the league. Usually, I mean, the pick the on Sunday, the pick yeah, on yeah. Sunday in the fourth quarter. Did you watch that? Did you see yeah. that pick? It was yep. just not. It was a terrible yep. decision. So, you know, take better care of the football, but I think if they can stay relatively healthy, if they can get some of their pieces back on the offensive line who they didn't have last week, I, I, yeah, I think, I think they win the division. Um, that, that's, that's how I feel about them. I think that's a good football team. And, you know, they win the division. We'll see how the seedings shake out, but that'll be, uh, that'll be fun, right, Mike? And the pay, yes, it would be a blast to welcome you to my hometown. I'll take you out for dinner if that happens. And it won't be just Skyline. It'll be actually a, a real meal somewhere. Do, wait, but by the way, how do I, just quickly, yes. how do you feel about Skyline? Oh, I love it. I grew up with it. Okay. I, I, I could have it almost every single day. Okay. Five way with onions and mustard. Yes. I mean, I'm, I'm a Cincinnati boy. What do you, what do you right, expect? I didn't, you know, I didn't know. It's, it's just, I think it's an acquired I, taste. It, 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 well, I don't know if that's true. You either love Skyline or you just can't stand it. It's not acquired. I, I, I disagree with that. I think you just don't learn to really love it unless you love it from the get-go. But anyway, uh, have you seen the man in the arena? I have not. No, I have. It's on oh. my, it's on my to-do list. Oh. Uh, cause, cause obviously like, um, <laughs> you know, I've heard, I don't love athlete produced. This one's themselves. different. This yeah, one's but, a little different. And, and Mike, and that's what I've heard. So, you know, cause I tend to, I, I truly, I truly send this stay away from it. Cause I'm just like, I don't, I don't need to hear like, you know, you finding a way to prop yourself up. But um, I've heard that this one is different. And um, I guess I kind of like the, the, the premise, you know, a couple key guys from each team for, for each show. Right. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll get to it eventually here. 
the the one from the 07 season that doesn't end in a Super Bowl victory, as we all know, yes. uh, is pretty telling. I mean, it's it, and 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 Tom talking about Bill is my favorite part of it. It is absolutely spot on. He captures the essence of what it is to play for that man. Did, did you get a sense? Because I'd heard someone talking about it and they said, like, they felt like it's been sort of a bit of a love letter to Bill a little bit like, you know, like there's a the feeling is that there's a thawing, the thawing uh, between the relationship. There's a respect. There's definitely a respect. I would not cons- I would not go as far as saying it's it's a video love letter letter. No, I wouldn't go that far. Um, and I, you know, tend to think I, I have a good read on both of those guys, Bill more so than Tom. Tom's sometimes a tough cat to read. You agree? Yes, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. It's been a blast. Uh, and one more personal note: uh, I hope Joe is okay. You're, you're, le- you're. Uh, yeah, my my uh, eight year old. He just turned eight years old, and he started limping about a I don't even know a week or so ago. He he he, he, he as we were doing this, he went to go see the vet. So we'll see. Uh, there was possible concerns about an ACL tear. Yeah, which you know. Yeah. It could be a lot worse, but I'm, I'm hoping I'm hoping to hear good news. I'm hoping it's just a muscle strain or something and we'll, yes. we'll be all good. Uh, we both love our dogs. Uh, dogs are just, you know, absolutely proof of the existence of God, as I like to say. <laughs> yes. Hey, Mike, it's been a pleasure. Uh, I want everybody to follow Mike Giardi on Twitter. He does a wonderful job at Michael Giardi as we were doing this. I double check. So, nice. yes, it's Michael Giardi. Uh, and obviously, please do follow him on the NFL Network. He will be in Cincinnati for yeah, Jimmy Garoppolo and the Niners against Joe Burrow and the Bengals. It'll be a fascinating game. A lot is on the line for both clubs uh, this week. Uh, Mike, thanks very much for joining me. Trax, thanks for having me. You bet. That's Mike Giardi. I'm Mike Petralia, and this has been the Jungle Roar Podcast.